Merry Christmas. All right. Good to be with you. I know we have some guests here tonight. So if we haven't met, my name is John Raymond, uh, pastor here, and just glad that you've made the journey and you're here with your kids or grandkids. Uh, I know we've got some little gift bags for the kids. So if your kids get fidgety, let them fidget in the bag. That's, that's totally cool. And also, if at any point you feel like going in the lobby makes better sense, um, don't at all hesitate to get up and do that uh, if that's something that you want to do. All right, so it's one big family service tonight. Here's what I want to do. I'd like to go back to the prophecy that Emery read so well. That was from the prophet Isaiah, and that was written 700 to 800 years before the birth of Christ. So miraculous. That's 700 to 800 years. It was no, nowhere in the psyche of the Jewish people that there'd be born uh, a savior necessarily in that way until God spoke that through Isaiah. So pretty miraculous that eight or so centuries before this was shared and then it took place with the birth of Jesus. Let's read it, read it right here. It should be on the screen, I believe. Isaiah chapter nine, there it is. Verses six and seven. It reads this 700 years before Christ. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what you need to know is that up and down the Old Testament, thousands and sometimes hundreds of years before Christ's birth, there were so many miraculous prophecies, predictions, and promises made about his coming, which is just beyond logic, right? Up and down the Old Testament, it even gets even detailed on what would happen in his life and what would happen in his death, how he would die. It would talk about, it would describe crucifixion and some of the prophets hundreds and thousands of years beforehand, which is miraculous. Crucifixion didn't even exist in their day, and yet they're talking about this is how the Messiah will die. Only God could do that. And so what you find is throughout the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies about this coming king, this baby to be born. And so all the Jewish people are excited about this and, and, and thinking about this. And they would pray for this in the evenings and in the mornings. And essentially, everything in history is on the edge of its seat, waiting for the day when God would say, now, now is the time. Now we're ready. Now let's send forth my son. You see it said this way in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. It says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Look at that first first sentence right there. When the fullness of time had come right at the exact moment, what does it say? God sent forth his son. One of the first things we notice in that verse is that this was God's doing, right? It says God did. God sent forth his son. 
This detailed plan of world salvation that we celebrate tonight and at Easter was kept hidden in the infinite mind of God for ages past. And now it's finally happening over there in that cave where the baby Jesus was born. And, we, you know, we like to kind of sanitize it nowadays. We talk about a manger as though it was like a, you know, a nice, uh, luxurious bed for a baby. A manger was a cow trough. So the spit of the cow, we have cows that live behind us, smelly creatures, flies all over them. The spit of the cow would have been in that cow trough. And Mary and Joseph would have had to clean it out and lay down some hay. It says in that moment, this plan that God had been holding on to for millennia, he says, now, now is the time. It's finally happening. You can also feel the anticipation of the angels in this moment. Leaning forward, looking upon the earth as everything is finally being set in motion. Right? There's this chain of events that God determines to happen right before he brings his son, born of a woman, as it says in Galatians. Check out this interaction. God sends Gabriel to set everything up. Comes in Luke's gospel, chapter one. It reads this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, there you go again, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So pause here for a second. Again, sometimes we treat these like fairy tales, but they're real history. They're not myth. Mary's going about her day. She was doing whatever work she was doing that day. Right? She might have been in her home. She might have been out in the field. She might have been cleaning things. She might have been working on something. And all of a sudden, the angel appears to her and says, you're going to be pregnant. And the pregnancy is not going to come from Joseph, your fiance. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit. That wrecks your Tuesday, doesn't it? That, that throws off the plans you had. And then he goes on to explain. And the angel answered her. Oh, she says, excuse me. She asked the logical question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's the right question to ask. The angel responds and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary responds, I'm sure stunned and just almost speechless. This is her one response. Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Tonight, the world celebrates the miraculous birth of that divine child of King Jesus. Just as it says in Galatians, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Mary. The two brief reflections I want to have tonight is this. Why and what for? Why did God send forth his son? Why did Jesus come to earth? And what for? What's the ultimate purpose that God sent forth his son? So I'll say it again. Why did God send forth his son? And what did God send his son for? I want to take you to a perennial passage in the Christian scriptures. John 3.16. You've probably seen it at a sporting events or a tattoo. You might even have that tattoo. All right. There's some powerful truth here to answer. Why did God send forth his son and what did he send his son for? It reads this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Answer right there. Why did God send forth his son? Because he loves the world. Because he loves you and he loves me. Too often that gets quoted as, for God so hated the world that he sent his son. We think of Christianity in that kind of way. But this is saying out of his Love, he sent forth his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, or here's the what for, that the world might be saved through him. So why did God send forth his son? Because God loves you. You. What did God send his son for? To save you. What does it say? That the world might be saved through him to save you. There's another story of an angel showing up in a dream this time. This is to Joseph. So Joseph, you can imagine, you know, the first six weeks. So I have three little ones. So we've gone through the pregnancy thing. I did not go through. Let me make that very clear. My wife went through. Um, But, you know, the first few weeks, maybe you're not showing. Mary's probably very nervous about that conversation with Joseph. How am I going to explain that this angel showed up and said the Holy Spirit would conceive? I mean, how am I going to make sense of this? He's going to assume I'm lying, deceiving him. And at some point, she was showing and the conversation had to be had. And Joseph, thinking that she had was, was showing infidelity towards him and was with another man, is contemplating divorcing her and ending the relationship. And then God sends forth an angel in a dream to Joseph to counsel him this. Matthew 1.20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why? Because God loves us. What for? To save us from our sins is what it says. You see, God's love for us 
is so immense, like a good father, that he doesn't leave us in the distant land of our sin and separation from him, but rather he sends forth his son, born of a woman, on a rescue mission to save us. That's what Jesus is doing when he's coming to us. It's a rescue mission from God to rescue us and bring us back home to God, our father and creator. And so, again, the two reflections I want to have is why and what for. Let me take you to one other passage. First John four. Why did God send forth his son? It reads this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was shown among us that God sent, sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Why did God send forth the son? Because he loves us. What did he send his son for? In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, which is a big fancy word to say to atone for our sins at the cross. Why did God send forth his son? Because God loves you. When it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world and the infinite intelligence of God and the mind of God, he knows every person that ever has existed, is existing and will exist by name. And when it says he sent forth his son because he loved the world, your name popped up in God's mind. God loves you. What compelled God to send forth his son was Tim or Becky or Sarah or Diego or Abraham or whoever. That's what this means. That's what Christmas is all about. Verse 10 says that God loved us before we were saved from our sins. And that's a really big deal. Many people have an unbiblical thinking that God only loves us after he saved us from our sins, after he's cleaned us up. But that's not what it says in verse 10. It was God's love for us in the first place that moved God to come and save us by sending forth his son. Romans 5 says it this way. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only does God the Father love you, as shown by sending his son, but the very son, Jesus Christ, loves you by name, shown by him sacrificing himself for you by name. What you need to see and be happy in tonight is that you're deeply loved by both God the Father and God the Son. Three verses describe this from Christ's angle, Ephesians 5.2 Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself for me. And so you are loved deeply and personally 
by both God the Father and Christ the Son. What this means is this. You can't get away from that divine love that is directed right at you. The triune God, His love, almost like a light, is never taken off you. It's always directed at you. And we know this to be true because of what happened at Christmas. There's an old Christian saying that goes like this. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. I'm going to say that again. It's an old Christian saying, God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. If that were not true, then God wouldn't have sent forth his son. If that were not true, then Christ wouldn't have sacrificed his life. But too often, this affectionate reality of God's love for you can remain distant and cold and nonspecific and impersonal at times. And so you might be sitting there saying, all right, preacher, wrap it up. You made your point, right? But I want to make this personal. God's love has to be let in like any other love. It's a choice that you make to let anyone in and love you like the warm, affectionate hug from a grandparent. You let them in. And it's the same with God. These verses mean that God had you in mind when he said, now. Now is the time. Now I'll send my son for her or for him. He's a good father. And the real gift of Christmas is the gift of his divine son. And we celebrate that with the world tonight. So here's how I'd like to end. Let me invite our worship team back up here. We're going to respond in singing a couple more songs to the Lord. But as best we can, with kids around us, I want to give you a second to have a bit of a reflection on what you heard. And that goes like this. The question for you to ask is this. God, what are you saying to me tonight through that message, through what I've heard? What is God trying to say to you? Too often we can believe in the love of God, like this ethereal thing out here, this abstract thing. But too often we don't, we don't take the time to let us hear it from God, for God to say, I love you. And so as we're getting ready, let me pray for us. And take a moment and just pray that prayer of letting that in this Christmas. Actually putting your hands out and receiving that gift. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and rejoice in your love. I ask right now for all of us that we receive the gift of Christmas. Your son. We receive the, the, the reality, the fact that you're loving us right now. That your gaze and attention are towards all of your children all around the world. I pray that we would let in that gift and that affection and that warmth from you tonight. We know what compelled you to send Jesus as the greatest gift the world has ever received. And we know what you sent him for. And so tonight, just make us happy in you. 
happy to celebrate this love unlike any other. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.